1: Three,
0: two, one. Cue music. This is Movies First with Alex First and Chris Coleman. Hello and welcome once again to Movies First. I am Chris Coleman and as always joined by Alex First. Hello there, Alex. We
1: are going to have a movie that likes of which I hadn't spoken about before. It is a piece of crud. Oh, really? I really look forward to talking to you about it, sir. Okay.
0: Are we doing it first or are we doing this later?
1: No, no, we'll build things up and we'll see how we go. Oh, you tease, you shameless hussy. It's just, you know, it's one of those things. I looked at this and I thought, have I got anything to say of merit about it? And the answer is no. (laughs) Should it have been made? The answer is no. Shall I go on? Yeah, it is a move. Let's do it. Let's do it now. Okay, so where,
0: where are we going? What are we talking about?
1: Well, we're talking about Down Under. Okay. And seeing we're talking about Down Under, we should be extolling the virtues of something like this. Rated MA in Australia, 88 minutes, controversial, deeply alarming black comedy, and its lowest common denominator material. Now, the, the Cronulla riots, I, this, I don't think there's anything funny about what happened in December 2005. Uh, and not this really.
0: Set,
1: well, this is set in its aftermath. And it's the story of a couple of carloads of hotheads. Anglos and Lebanese destined to collide. So intent gives way to farcical ineptitude as this tale of ignorance, fear and kebab cravings unfolds. What was meant to be a retaliation mission turns into something that neither side could have imagined. So born and bred in the Western Sydney suburb of Lakemba from immigrant parents, Hassim studies hard, and avoids trouble at all costs. He believes he's more than just his religion. Now, having not heard from his younger brother since the riots, after many failed attempts, Hasim is finally cajoled by his estranged drug-dealing friend Nick into exacting revenge. Also on their side is Ibrahim, Hassim's uncle, a passionate Muslim. Just coming along for the ride, is a goofy rap wannabe, D-Mac. Who's this portable jukebox, if you like, who's oblivious to the severity of the situation.
0: Okay, so we've got, a, at this stage, it sounds like a cast of almost lovable misfits. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure... That's what it sounds like. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, one of them is not... One, the, the guy, really, the serious guy, Hasim... Who really has to be talked into it? He's the only one who's got a brain to share between them, quite frankly. And then when he makes this decision, I suppose that that brain goes somewhere else. But anyway, having having said that, you've got a carload of four people, and on their way to the front line, Hassim and his so-called friends face an insane gun-toting methamphetamine dealer, right? A methamphetamine—I I can't even say it—methamphetamine dealer called Vic. Uh huh. Now, opposing them, right, so you've got a carload of four versus four. Opposing them is a character called, there's no nice way of saying it, Shitstick, a fourth-generation cronulla which pretty much makes him shire royalty, who's been raised by his overbearing racist father. And Shitstick is a pacifist by nature. He could have done something with his life, and then he sort of basically started smoking bongs. And that did him in. Because he's the only one in his group who owns a car, he's convinced to change his plans. He was he was going to see a Lord of the Rings trilogy you know, marathon session right. with his Down syndrome cousin Evan. But he's prevailed upon, because they want his car, to go with the rest of the group. So he then patrols the Shire against what are called quote unquote wogs, even though they're Lebanese, with Self-appointed ringleader, John, Jason, who just talks everything up. He's a, he's a big talker, but he's actually continually emasculated by his pregnant, heavily pregnant, mother of two girlfriends, Stacy. And also with them is Ditch. This is a guy covered with tats of his hero. His hero is Ned Kelly. And he's just had a fresh tat created that covers both his head and his neck. So for all intents and purposes, he looks like a mummy from the neck up because he's got bandages all over him. So they're the two groups. Are you excited? Um,
0: I'd be lying if I said yes, to be honest.
1: Well, the group's most deadly possessions, this group, the second group, are Shitstick's grandfather's antique rifle and grenade from the First World War. The writer and director is Abe Forsythe. He says the film is about men and their failure to connect with each other and the world around them. He says racism is a behavioural byproduct of them wanting to belong to something to feel like they're in control. And he acknowledges that Down Under walks a particularly difficult line between comedy and drama. Well, it's the biggest load of crap I've had the misfortune of seeing in
0: years. Now, can I jump in for just one second here? Please. Because I believe that this is. I don't know how to say this nicely now. This is going to show as the Melbourne International Film Festival's centrepiece gala movie.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, look, I went and saw the opening night film at the Melbourne International Film Festival as well. And it was a try-hard film. It was by a new Australian director and everybody's clapping wildly and it had... Funding, government funding and Melbourne International Film Festival funding and Melbourne International Film Festival is magnificent. More than 340 movies yeah. over, you know, two and a half weeks, the biggest film festival in Australia. Absolutely love it. It doesn't make them great movies necessarily. You've got to judge them on their merits. And, you know, I, I thought the opening night film was okay, but it wasn't great. So, you know, doesn't just because it's in a film festival doesn't make a movie... Great right by, of and by itself, <laughs> and I mean that
0: gets the truth. I don't have a problem with this. It just I, I I I know that you know we, we, we look we don't often do movies that you really didn't like. Okay, no, we don't I, often do well, it. Okay, so well, so to hear you actually going almost to town on something is um. Is different. Well, it is a different okay. experience for me. Well,
1: uh, Yeah, well, look, OK, Just seeing we're talking about the Melbourne International Film Festival, to deviate for a moment, I saw The Death and Life of Otto Bloom. Now, that itself is a reasonably interesting title. The story itself wasn't all that engaging. I found myself pretty bored and confused because I didn't find the pivotal character Otto Bloom particularly appealing. And, and basically what happened is that there were people who were interviewed about Otto Bloom, and they spoke in in hallowed terms about what a great guy he was. Now, that's the that's the movie. And I felt the interview subjects talked him up to be more than he actually showed himself to be on screen. And by far the best thing about the movie was Rachel Ward, who really gave of herself. And I, I most certainly cared far more about what happened to her than what happened to Otto Bloom. <laughs> a, and the format of bits of action and lots of interviews started to wear thin with me because while pushing along the narrative, I thought it detracted from building a full picture of the man who the film was supposed to be about. And the best way to enjoy a picture is to immerse yourself in the characters. And this choice of format, interviews with people who knew Otto Bloom, compromised that. Bear in mind, this is a fictitious character. And finally, even though Otto Bloom supposedly lived his life in reverse, he and that's, that was the key to this, that's why it's the death and life of Otto Bloom, um, I mean it tried hard it was a valiant first up effort from a new director but I thought it fell short of the mark and and I mean he he didn't change his look Otto Bloom until a few snapshots very late in the piece so believability was lacking I mean it, it's a quirky plot remember the curious case of Benjamin Button
0: yeah, yeah that was um Brad Pitt yeah uh, that was odd yes
1: yeah, well, that that did this better, right? That did what, living your life in reverse, it did it better than the death and life of Otto Bloom. So, as I say, tried hard, valiant first-up effort, but fell wide of the mark. And, I mean, okay, if I was to give that one a, a score out of 10, probably a five-and-a-half to a six. Okay. So, I mean... That's what I'm saying. And that was the opening night film at the Melbourne International Film Festival. So When you say this is the centerpiece of the festival, and I'm talking about Down Under, rah-rah for them, because it's going to be controversial. People, this is going to be a hell of a controversial movie. And, you know, I mean, Australian cinema used to revel in demeaning material. While, While the American patriotism in its filmmaking riles and riled many and continues to do so, we seem to go the other way. We picked low socioeconomic stereotypes and, dare I say, exploited them. And we painted a picture of Australians as being either plain dumb or well-meaning meatheads. Mm -hmm. I kept asking, why, oh, why would we continually belittle ourselves? And unfortunately, Down Under returns to the worst of the bad old days. In large measure, it plays with dumbed-down stereotypes. And some of the performances, Chris, are downright embarrassing, notably the pregnant woman. Now, I understand the actors must have been told to grossly exaggerate their characterisations. But even allowing for that, this is seriously cringeworthy material. I mean, the Cronulla riots, which stemmed from tensions between youths from Sydney's Lebanese and white populations, were nothing to poke fun at. And yet that's exactly what Down Under sets out to do.
0: Doesn't that, though, mate, let me play devil's advocate here, though. Isn't that the the art of black comedy where you find something that you shouldn't be laughing at and and you poke fun at it? Yes, if it's done well.
1: I mean, to even think of releasing a film like this when the world is literally killing itself, little piece by little piece virtually every day, when terrorism and bigotry and racism are rife, seems to me to be stupidity of the highest order. In fact, there's nothing smart about it at all. This is cultural cringe turned on its head and gone far, far, far too far. I mean, Down Under is simply appalling, should be avoided at all costs. It is a shocking film.
0: Give it a score?
1: Well, if I could give it a negative, I would. Zero. (laughs) I've never before given a film a zero. It really is
0: awful. We have... We have um, broached new cinematic ground today. Um, mm. yeah, I know you say it, it is obviously the, the worst movie you've ever seen. I'm just trying. I'm trying to get a comparison here. I'm trying, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get a comparison here. Is the only thing that no, I can think of? i No, I have a question. The only thing I can think of that we have both definitely seen in recent times, and I'm not going to name names. It was a short film. Uh, short, uh, yes. uh, yeah, we don't need to go into any other details. Just for my own edification, is it in that ilk?
1: No, uh, because, it, because this is a professional movie. What we saw, I wouldn't regard as professional. I'd regard it as semi-professional at best. I mean, this is a movie made to certain standards, supposedly. And it's the way that it's been done... The over exaggeration to try and make a point. Remember, there was the House O's movie,
0: yeah. that, you
1: know, right? It's in that category. And I I think I've forgotten what it, what it was called. The most recent House O's was my worst film of last year, I think. Mm-hmm. Was it the year before? I, I think it was last year. And I gave that a one out of 10. Right? So, this to me is even worse.
0: There right, we go. So <laughs> I, 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 we, we probably don't need to dwell any further then other than for me to sit here still still shaking my head, believe it or not.
1: Well, I think people... I mean, I've spoken to some reviewers who like it.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And they're just wrong.
0: They are just wrong. <laughs> they, you're, they you're entitled speak. to your opinion, but, but it's wrong. <laughs> exactly. They,
1: gonna, they, they, they can go and play tiddlywinks for all I care. <laughs>
0: Oh, they stop just... it. I have tears. <laughs> uh, I,
1: I, wonder, I mean, I want to go along and see something that challenges me, even with, with, even with black comedy. I like black comedy when it's done well. And I, I, I get that they were trying to do it, but they didn't do it well enough. I re- remember there was Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen did, you know, those movies where... The stoner type movies. Uh, I mean, that, they were they were awful too,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? The the end of the world one, or you know, it, they were horrible.
0: But M- movie forty three, movie yeah, forty
1: three. Yeah, yeah. But there were even within movie forty three, there were some scenes that were better than others, right? I can't say that there were better scenes here. That's the problem. They set it up with, well, supposedly vision of the riots, right? Or whether it's quite frankly, I don't know whether they were real, that was real vision or mock vision. But quite frankly, it looked horrible. And that was the most serious part of the movie. And that was disturbing. So if that was real or whatever, I suppose that maybe I should give that some merit and maybe that gets a one because that was okay. But it then went downhill further and further and further. And uh, I just, I I was shaking my head in disbelief. Really, I was.
0: We'll move on. I despair. (laughs) I weep for the future. We move on from down under the first movie, uh, in In the history of of your your yes. long and distinguished movie reviewing career to earn a zero alex mm-hmm. okay that you, is
1: that is true that we, is true
0: we, we move on from something with absolutely no redeeming features i look i I just think we 've reached a zenith at this point i don 't think we, we we could we could stop here and never do another <laughs> podcast again. I think we have reached a high point uh the well, likes we... of which will never be equaled uh, but we must plow on and so let us go to bad mums uh, is this the <sighs> Oh, oh, my God, we had bad Santa, yeah. we had bad neighbours, we've had bad teacher. Is this another one in, in, in that?
1: Well, people behaving badly. I,
0: but... I defy to say, I, I don't want to say genre, but I'm going to.
1: Yeah, it's people behaving badly genre, yeah. Okay. I, but, but I should say it's from the writers of The Hangover, yeah. John Lucas and Scott Moore.
0: I, I'm about to say something here that will possibly make me very unpopular with a lot of people. I just didn't get into the hangover.
1: No, I understand. I mean, I thought the first one was funny. I, I, I did. I didn't think the others were as funny as the first one.
0: I thought the first one was overcooked. You know, I just thought, Yeah, I
1: got Well, what about bridesmaids?
0: Again, wasn't my... I, I, oh, okay. I, I, got, I got bridesmaids, but bridesmaids for mine relied too much on the gross factor.
1: Well, no, no, but that's what these movies do.
0: Yeah, and that's not my bag. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Well,
1: then, now I know that. Yeah. But I mean, I no, it relies on over the top material, and Bad Mums is rated MA. It's Moms, not Mums, because it's American. 100 minutes, and and it look, it's <laughs> the, the the two guys, John Lucas and Scott Scott Moore, also direct this one. Mm-hmm. So I think this is. Yeah, you know, they they haven't directed a lot, but Mila Kunis has a seemingly perfect life. She's great marriage, overachieving kids, beautiful home, great job, lives in Chicago. In reality, she's actually overworked, overcommitted, exhausted to the point that she's about to snap. And then she discovers her husband has cheated on her. Well well, kind of. Fed up, she she joins forces with two other overstressed mums. And It's Kristen Bell and Catherine Hahn filling those roles. They're on a quest to liberate themselves from conventional responsibilities and they go on a wild, un-mum-like binge of long overdue freedom, fun and self-indulgence. And they put themselves on a collision course with the PTA queen bee Christina Applegate and her clique played by Annie Momolo and Jada Pinkett Smith. Until... Kunis intervenes without setting out to bring Applegate down. All the other mums know not to cross Applegate, who's the self-appointed arbiter of acceptable behaviour at the school where their kids go.
0: Yeah, we we all know kid. someone like that.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, <I'm
0: laughs> thinking you're, th- you're thinking, now, who do I know like that? Yeah, ex- boy- <laughs> yeah.
1: exactly right. Now, so... The cast includes Jay Hernandez as this hot single dad. We spoke about him in Suicide Squad last week. We did. Clark Duke as Cunis's hipster boss and MJ Anthony from The Jungle Book and Una Lawrence from Pete's Dragon as Cunis's children. The best part of Bad Mums is undoubtedly when the female actors, all of whom are actually mothers themselves, sit down with their own mothers just before the final credits. That's really special. The actors listen as their mums talk about them and how they didn't always get it right. Their mums didn't get it always right with them. I found that fascinating.
0: So, so hang on, is this, is this their real mums or their screen yeah. mums? Or... No, oh, they're OK, re- they're real mums, all right.
1: Hmm. So the actors listen as their real mums talk about them and you know, how they didn't always get it right. And, and that, of course, is what the movie's all about. The... In essence, though, it's simply trying to cash in on the shock value of other titles, some of which were mentioned, in which bad behaviour and foul language are commonplace. So Bad Moms is thin at best, despite the efforts of Mila Kunis, who is probably the only actor I was convinced looked and sounded natural in filling her role in this one. I mean, I really think she did as good a job as she possibly could. Otherwise, much of the acting, many of the scenes appeared forced. And comedy at its best is very difficult to get right 100% of the time. Bad Mom's script is simply uneven. And it's almost like a series of sketches around the one theme that that have been sewn together. So we, the audience, immediately get that it's well-meaning, things are going to go pear-shaped, and then everything will work out in the end. So it's the journey that matters. In this case, it's a rocky one. Lurching from cute to raunchy to as outrageous as the filmmakers can come up with, or feel they can get away with. So it's okay at best, but certainly nothing special or at all memorable.
0: Look, I get the idea with movies is to, in most cases, is to provide something that is a bit larger than life, okay? It is not real life. It is is fiction. Yeah. But... You can go too far and and lose the connection with the audience. Does that yeah, happen you
1: know, here? No, it, it, this no. This is tame by comparison okay. to some
0: of the others. I reckon. I don't think it's
1: all that outrageous. There's a few scenes, but no. Overall, uh, and there is some funniness here, but five and a half to six out of ten at uh-huh. best. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Bad mums rated MA. Yeah. But okay. so because of the language and you know a, a sex scene and yeah, but it's it's okay.
0: Uh-huh. All right, uh, that's bad, mums. Uh, as we move on, Truman is this as in as in he former president of the United States, Truman? No. Okay.
1: Uh, nothing to do with him actually, but that, <laughs> <laughs> but but he could it could have been. I mean, it's a reasonable. That's is, where... is,
0: is it? Is it another movie about Truman Capote? No. Jeez, no, I'm batting O no. for two, and I'll just at yeah, this stage yeah. I'll just walk back to the dugout and give up. What what have we got? What is Truman? Well, it, Truman is a dog. <laughs> I'm really on fire this week, aren't I? You are. Can I be possible? It, can I? Can I just? Can I just give up at this point and just accept that I'm going to be wrong? Whatever I whatever I aim at uh, on today's well, no, edition,
1: no, it, it wasn't even on your radar. So you were cold in that game, you know. But that's all right. It's rated M A in Australia. 109 minutes. Funny, sensitive, emotion charged drama. Story of two mates who see each other one last time, and the result. I reckon he's going to stay with you long after you exit the cinema. Julian, played by Ricardo Duran, an actor aged in his, oh, I reckon, early 50s, lives alone in Madrid and dotes on his large, faithful dog, Truman. A year ago, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. Who, the man and or the, the dog? the is looking bleak. He, the man. OK, right. Right? So, yeah. So, a year ago, Julian was diagnosed with lung cancer. Now, although... His specialist wants him to start a new course of chemotherapy. Julian says enough is enough. He wants to die with dignity. He wants to stop all treatment, much to the chagrin of his cousin Paula, Dolores Fonzi, and his best friend since childhood, his best friend since they were kids, Thomas, Javier Camara. And Javier Camara, or Thomas, now lives in Canada with his wife and two children. As I say, Julian lives in Madrid. Thomas's wife prevails upon him to fly back, spend some time with Julian while there still is time. So without telling Julian, he arrives on his doorstep. Thomas arrives on his doorstep. And I think, you know, that's a very fine thing Mm -hmm. to do. The pair often don't see eye to eye, but it is clear a lot of water has gone under the bridge between them. What confronts Thomas is Julian trying to get his house in order. Most important to Julian is what will happen to his beloved dog once he's gone and he decides to adopt him out, right? So Julian decides to adopt the dog, Truman, out. And I suppose that's a pretty bold thing to do before he's passed away. So with Thomas in tow, Julian visits his vet. He sees his medical specialist. He goes to even a funeral home to plan his own funeral. The pair, Thomas and Julian, also share meals and time together, including going on a flying visit to meet Thomas's son, who is studying in the Netherlands and is about to turn 22 years of age. Now, all through this process, the fate of Truman remains of real concern to and for Julian. Truman, it's a slow burn movie, builds and builds as the pieces start fitting together. At first, we the audience don't know just what's happening to Julian, although we're aware it isn't good. And then come the little surprises, one after another. Julian is nothing if not dogmatic. Once he's made up his mind about something, nothing or nobody can change it. That causes consternation and exasperation to those closest to him. And it's that interplay along with the richness of the exchanges overall between these two buddies that makes this so eminently watchable. The director, co-writer, Sesk Gay, for him, Truman's an attempt at overcoming the panic we all feel when faced with serious illness and impending death, our own or that of our loved ones. It's an exploration of how we react to the unexpected and the unknown and how we actually deal with grief. Male bonding films where emotions are laid bare are quite rare, and in Truman. Thomas, for one, finds that extremely difficult, laying his emotions raw or bare. But both he and Julian undoubtedly benefit from their final four days together. They, along with cousin Paula, are flawed, but they make it up as they go along. They do the best they can with a situation that presents itself. I'm not at all ashamed to say I shed tears because of the adept way the subject matter's handled. The film's certainly not mired in doom. In fact, quite the contrary. Gay's lightness of touch and the actor's acumen at inhabiting the essence of their characters makes this eminently watchable and attractive. The settings and backgrounds, along with a the score, they're also noteworthy. And while I was sitting there watching Truman, I couldn't help thinking that just when everything is sailing along blissfully, along comes a mighty big roadblock that you simply need to navigate your way around. It's not about fairness, it's not about justice, or righteousness, it's about coping. That is what I took away from the movie, which is oh so human, but also heroic. It's about ordinary people caught short, finding strength and resilience, and it's called Truman.
0: You forgot to mention the dog at the end. Sorry. Uh,
1: <laughs> what happened to the dog? You'll have to see the movie.
0: I <laughs> no, no, you said it's about ordinary people and it's about this and that, and you forgot to say at the end it's also about a dog. It is about a
1: dog. Sorry. Seven and a half to eight out of ten. It's a really fine film. I'm in one of my you
0: moods, Alex. I'm you sorry.
1: are. You've got to see Truman, though. It's a good film. Good
0: okay. film. Seven and a half out of ten. That's a good score. Uh, and finally,
1: and finally mm-hmm. for this
0: week's edition of uh, Movies, I'm feeling, I'm feeling most strange today. Louder Than Bombs. This has got Jesse Eisenberg in it. Uh, we spoke, I think it was last week, we mentioned about... Uh, Margot Robbie being Mm. amongst the hottest actors on the planet. This guy's right up there, isn't he? Jesse Eisenberg. He's been in so many things of late.
1: Yeah, he's got this angular face. He's a thin-looking actor, but he's a fine actor. No question about it at all. I don't think he's quite as hot as Margot Robbie right now. No, but he's
0: he's certainly prolific.
1: He is prolific, yeah, indeed, indeed. Now, this is a movie... a Norwegian director, Joachim Trier, making his English language debut. It's rated M in Australia, 109 minutes. And it's, it's a tricky relationship movie with deep-seated feelings at its core. Three years after the untimely death of a celebrated war photographer, Isabel Huppert plays Her, her eldest son, Jesse Eisenberg, married with a recently born child, returns to his family home. It's there that he spends more time with his father, Gabrielle Byrne, and his withdrawn younger brother, Devon Druid, than he has in years. With the three of them under the same roof, Byrne tries desperately to connect with his two sons, but they struggle to reconcile their feelings about the woman they remember so differently. Byrne and Huppert didn't have an easy relationship. They didn't have an easy marriage. Druid, at age 15 now, appears to be a loner, engulfed in computer games and An online life which his father finds hard to comprehend and Druid harshly dismisses any and all attempts by his dad to reach out to him. Eisenberg's an overachiever to whom we're introduced just as his baby is born and then when he reconnects in the hospital with a former girlfriend come lover as he's looking for food for his wife. She just happens to be in the hospital.
0: Oh that's not gonna end well.
1: As a man used to being in control, Eisenberg's story is about delayed grief. Even though he's outwardly calm, Eisenberg and his father don't see eye to eye about Eisenberg's mother or Byrne's wife, right? The same person. And the story tracks the domino effect of Huppert's tragic death on home soil and the impact it has on the three males as they move forward or try to move forward with their respective lives. In arriving at the title, Louder Than Bombs, the filmmakers looked for something that mirrored the balance between the small tender pains of family life and the great ambitions and experiences of a mother working abroad as a war photographer. And ironically, she was killed, not abroad, but at home. Trier finds the incomprehensibility of pain, the incomparability even of pain, quite intriguing. He tries to create stories with multiple perspectives in them, hopefully to gain insight into these characters' lives. And as such, Louder Than Bombs is told in non-linear fashion, moving between layers of time to go inside different characters' heads within the one story. So it takes work on the part of the viewer. It's the silences and the anger and the flare-ups that speak volumes. Definitely arthouse in its proclivities rather than mainstream. Mm-hmm. Hurt and struggle seem to be constants, as is the desire to cope together with finding an outlet to connect. And each of the principal characters does that in their own way. The father finds a new partner who he keeps to himself, one that will ultimately cause division between himself and his younger son. That son, apart from losing himself in his online world, is experiencing strong feelings towards a girl in class. Despite all that he's achieved, his eldest son appears lost and seeks solace in the arms of somebody else something he can't share with his wife. So both intriguing and to a point inaccessible, Louder Than Bombs is an excellent study into the complexities of human emotion. Features a series of outstanding performances. Its treatment clearly will only appeal to a select crowd. It's been well made, but it's not gonna be everybody's cup of tea. Seven and a half out of ten for louder than bombs.
0: You you mentioned a technique in there where it's non-linear, I think is how you described it, where mm. it jumps backwards and forwards in time. Mm. That is something that is not easy to no. get right.
1: No, and and it isn't easy. You're quite right, and that's going to turn a lot of people off. Okay. But that's the way the director wanted to do the film, and some people are going to appreciate it more than others. No question. And some people... I actually appreciated the movie. I thought it was actually
0: strong. Yeah, but, oh, I get that. I, I get that. I just find it, I find it an interesting... It's an interesting plot device because it is it is something that, that adds a real challenge when you're making a movie because you've just got so much that you've got to get right and, and you can get the balance wrong very easily.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Maybe. And, I mean, if they'd made this a little bit more conventional, there's no doubt it would have appealed to more people. Okay. But... First effort, English language. He wanted to do it this way, and he stuck to his guns. And yeah, you got to admire that to an extent.
0: Louder than bombs.
1: We we finish we finish better than we started. Shall we say that? (laughs)
0: See, I think starting with Down Under was a mistake because it set me... In, it, set, it, it just it just set me into, into one of my funny little moods, Alex.
1: It did. It was nice to have you in a funny little mood, though. So I, I, I don't... I'll, I'll talk to you whether you're in a mood or otherwise. You know, I, I'm trying not to be influenced by that. I, like, I mean, I, I don't want hate mail because I didn't like this movie. It's my strong opinion. And I... I've, all I've said is other people who have a different opinion are wrong. What's wrong with that? Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell, to steal a lot no, but, from Top Gear. <laughs>
1: We'll we'll catch one another again soon, and I'm hoping that I'll bring you movies that score more than zero.
0: Well, it won't be difficult. You haven't found too many in the past. Thank you, Alex. (laughs) My pleasure. Catch you, Chris. He's Alex First. I'm Chris Coleman. And for better or for worse, this has been Movies First. You've been listening to Movies First with Alex First and Chris Coleman. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher, and iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using
1: the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America.
0: Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.